Our epistle lesson this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 26. Hear now the word of the Lord. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is... God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. Whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the gospel according to Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Hear now the word of the Lord. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But, wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers, who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So, likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think? was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, 
Go and do likewise. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. Well, we have been in a very unique series lately on the art of neighboring. And uh, as you've heard me say, this was entirely my wife's idea, and we had a really awesome time last week getting to switch spaces. She loved being with, uh, with you all last week, and, and I, I do have to say, she wanted to show up with as much vigor as she could, even though she was feeling terrible that day, a little bit of food poisoning. She was feeling terrible that day, but, but she wanted to show up and, and show her support for the church and to, to really exemplify the art of neighboring, being neighboring churches between Ashland Place and Spring Hill Avenue. We have this, this very unique bond that we got to celebrate last week at Neighbor Night, and it was awesome seeing many of you there at Neighbor Night. We had an excellent turnout despite the rain and us having to move inside, but it was, it was, it was quite the experience to be able to join together. And, and all of this with such intentionality to really experience the art of neighboring. The art of, of taking the commandments that are present in the Bible to love God and love your neighbor seriously and even literally that perhaps we could consider when Jesus tells us to love our neighbors, we might actually think of our neighbors, the people who live right next to us. We are currently in a pretty unique position, having moved locations across town temporarily, that we find ourselves in a new neighborhood. What might it look like for us to be neighbors right here in this community, in this space, in this area? Our gospel lesson this morning challenges us to consider that perhaps we have been in the position of the lawyer for far too long. Not so much in this questioning kind of way, but more so in this trying to justify ourselves and our inaction. Because that's what he does. He stood up to test Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? This is what Jesus has been preaching. The kingdom of God is near. The lawyer says, okay, what do I do? There's obviously something that needs to be done here. What is, what is that? Jesus says, you already know the answer. What have you read in the scripture? And what does he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your uh, soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says to him, you have given the right answer. Crazy. I don't know if the lawyer was expecting that. You have given the right answer. Yes, that's exactly what you're supposed to do. Well, yes, of course. That's, that's it. It's, I mean, it, it's, it's right there. That's what literally every verse in Scripture is, is eventually pointing toward, are those two concepts right there. Really one single concept unified in our uh, continuous action to love God, to love our neighbor as ourself. Yet, the lawyer wants to justify himself. Why? Why go this extra length, Mr. Lawyer person? What's the point of this? Well, because to love our neighbor as ourself drags us into a life of 
slight discomfort. Loving our neighbor as ourself isn't always the most comfortable thing for us to do. It's not always the most convenient thing for us to do. And so he wants to justify himself, to find out who is my neighbor. And Jesus' answer might not be what he expected. Perhaps Jesus, he thought Jesus would say something like, you know, your family, the other lawyers that you lawyer with or whatever. I don't know. I don't know what his expectations were. But Jesus gives this answer about a Samaritan. He gives this answer that is supposed to be jarring. I want you to think for a moment about maybe like the most despised person on the face of the planet right now to you, whoever that might be in your eyes, the most despised person on the face of the planet. And now put that person's name or title or whatever into the place of the Samaritan. That's what Jesus has just done with this story. Like it cannot be understated how much Jews and Samaritans did not like each other. This was, this was a, a very traumatic thing for Jesus to do for Jews because, no, no, Samaritans aren't good. The expression, good Samaritan, is a paradox. That doesn't happen. You can't have those two things together. That's ridiculous. But this is what Jesus does in order to show that our neighbors are those whom we encounter on our journey. Those who are on our path to wherever we might be going. And unless you are a nomadic individual, I don't know many of us who are nomads in here, people who move from space to space constantly, unless you're a nomad, generally speaking, the people that we encounter in our day-to-day -day journey most frequently are our actual neighbors. The people who live right around wherever we live these are those people that Jesus is talking about here. The people that we wouldn't really think to be our neighbors, right? Ironic. We call them our neighbors, but yet whenever we hear that expression, love your neighbor as yourself, we start getting these uh, very abstract concepts of people far off, people on the other side of the globe, or people who are just some ambiguous construct that we don't really assign a face or name to and say, yeah, sure, we're just supposed to love people. Consider for just a moment, as we have been the past few weeks, that we're talking about our actual neighbors, the people who we find most frequently on our journey. Here, as in our gospel lesson, we have brought up for us again the Shema. This is the, uh, the greatest commandment brought out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's called the Shema, which in Hebrew means to hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then, connected to it, comes this passage from Leviticus 19. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The very answer given for us right there. And the lawyer knows it. The lawyer had... 600 plus, uh, 660-something, some odd commandments that he could have chosen from to say, this is what I'm supposed to do. And no, even he knows that it all boils down to these two. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. But here's the thing. It's not enough to just know the law. 
We have to live it, to live these commandments out. Because you see, as I've said many times, the Bible is not a rule book. It doesn't function very well as a rule book. Uh, most of the things that we would consider rules are incredibly archaic and don't apply to our lives today. Additionally, there are way too many things in our lives today that do not have much instruction coming from the Bible. Rules to obey when you're on social media, they don't show up in the Bible. I, I mean, you would think God knew that social media was coming eventually and would include something about that, but they don't show up. The Bible's not a rule book. It's a book of possibilities for human experiences, for humans to interact together. And in doing so, each of these things, each of the commandments or the rules that we might see show up in the Bible all come down to these two that even the lawyer knows, love God, love your neighbor. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. But it's not enough to just know it. The first two people to show up on the scene in our story of the Good Samaritan after this man has been brutally beaten and robbed and left for dead is a priest and a Levite. Did you know that these two, it is in their job description, in their livelihood to know the law. In order to ascend to this status, each of these people have to go through rigorous training, starting from childhood, of memorizing the text, constantly reading scripture. These are the people that know the law better than anyone. Better than anyone. They know it by heart. They know exactly what it means, and they've thought of every single interpretation for it. And what do these two do? They pass by on the other side of the road. Why? I imagine it had something to do with convenience or comfort. It would have taken too much time to help that person, or I definitely don't want to get that person's blood on my hands, literally. Whatever it might have been, they pass by on the other side of the road, knowing full well what the law says, and oh, how many Christians know what the law says. How many of us here to get it today, myself included, I've spent years Seven years in school, specifically studying these scriptures, and then many years outside of school and other uh, what are called continuing education opportunities, studying the laws. We know them. We can say them. Some of us might be able to recite half the Bible from heart. But that's not the point, to know is a very limited perspective. To act, to act, that's what it's all about. Upon hearing the actions of this good Samaritan, a Samaritan, mind you, can you imagine how difficult it might have been, it, it might be for you to consider that person that you were just thinking about like the most despised person you can consider and to call that person the better neighbor than your pastor? Okay? That's what's happening here, to call that person the better neighbor. And even the lawyer is able to identify the action and say it was the action that made all the difference. Doesn't care, it doesn't, he doesn't care and it doesn't matter how much the priest and the Levite know. What matters is who shows up. To be a neighbor 
is to intentionally invest in the lives of those whom we encounter on our journey. And by and large, that ends up being our literal neighbors. We spend quite a good deal of time at our home. Sure, we might have jobs that we go to or school or whatever that might be out and about, but most of our life is spent right at home with these people surrounding us in our neighborhood. And yet, far too many of them, we don't even give them a second thought. But to be a neighbor, as described in the story of the Good Samaritan, is to intentionally invest in the lives of those whom we encounter on our journeys. And it is a lifelong intentionality. You see, the Samaritan, and this is fascinating, the Samaritan didn't make this a one-time experience. The Samaritan would still be considered a good Samaritan if he just showed up at this individual who was crumbled on the ground, bleeding out, and all kinds of despair. It would have been enough for that Samaritan to just tend to that person's wounds with the oil and wine as he initially did. But no, he goes a step further. He takes this individual to a different space, a space of comfort, to an inn, a place to relax and heal. And even that would have been enough to call this person the Good Samaritan. But he goes another step forward, and he pays the innkeeper and says, continue to take care of this person. And if that's not enough, which it should be, there are, I, 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 can't, I don't think I've ever done anything like this before in my life. Nothing comes to mind, so probably not. But he goes a step further, and he says, I'm coming back. And whatever more that you've spent on taking care of this man, I will pay for you. And he comes back for the individual. That is a good neighbor right there. That is somebody who understands that neighborliness is a lifelong intentionality. It's not just a one-time thing. It's something that we are called to every single day to show up for one another. We started talking the very first week about our block exercise. And I... Printed one, I printed ours out to bring up here, and I don't know where I've left it, so good on me. Uh, but when we started talking about this block exercise uh, at the first week of this and going around to our immediate neighbors and getting to know them, saying, hi, this is who I am. I know we've met before, and I probably should know your name because we wave to each other often, but I can't remember. Tell me about yourself. Let's get to know one another. We started doing this block map, and I, I, I would love to hear more about how this journey has been for you all and, and to, to be able to tell you all how we've been progressing. It hasn't been too bad for us. We have a couple of people that we haven't been able to catch at home yet, but we've also been all over the place the past two weeks. Uh, but So we're not completely done. But here's the beautiful thing about it. The whole block map scenario, it's not just a one-time thing. It's a lifelong practice a lifelong calling to always be knowing our neighbors. This gospel, you see, it's not a gospel of convenience. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is not a gospel of convenience or comfort or the easy life. This gospel that we attend to, that we read, that we hear from, that we believe in, this is a gospel of lifelong intentionality. The good Samaritan didn't take his convenience into account in the story like the priest and the Levite did. 
You see, it might be convenient not to know your neighbors. But here's the thing. I'm going to give you a challenge right now. I'm going to give you the opportunity to speak up. Can anybody name for me one place in Scripture where we are called to convenience? I personally don't know. I'm genuinely asking now because I don't know of a place. And if somebody knows of this place, then please tell me because it will make my life a lot easier. It would make your life a lot easier. But our God, as far as I know, I could be wrong, doesn't call us to a life of convenience. Now, that's not to say that we are called to a life of inconvenience or a life of discomfort necessarily, but that we are called to a life of intentional neighborliness. And that's not always convenient, and that's not always comfortable, but it is a life worth living because a life of intentional neighborliness acknowledges that we are better together. Our 1 Corinthians passage is a testament to that. What a beautiful passage. This, is, this uh, passage from 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 26, is one of those that I feel like I could just come up here and read that passage and sit down and that would be the sermon. Because what a beautiful testament to human existence. It acknowledges that we are better together. Not only are we better together, but we need one another. And we flourish with one another. Our social and societal structures are crafted with the potential to bring about flourishing in our immediate context. Did you know that? That the way that our, that our society is currently set up in our physical placements, structuring ourselves around other people, unless any of you are like way out on the middle of a farm that has like five miles of land and you can't get to anybody else, the way that we're structured and set up is to be around other people. And it is no accident that it is that way. In fact, it's something that we've been doing from the very beginning of human civilization. Oh, even before human civilization, even as we go back all the way to the tribe and clan systems of humanity, this is how we have functioned best, is together, acknowledging that we are each as essential as the next, and that not a single one of us could be considered less than another one. That each are absolutely critical. And so... Understanding that we need one another is a part of intentional neighborliness. That we need one another. Oh, we know the things we need, right? I need food. I need water. I need air. We need each other. It's how we flourish as human beings. And yes, we need even those whom we would prefer to pass by on the other side of the street. There are those people here in Mobile. Right? I can imagine that you've probably seen some of them this past week. Those people that we prefer to pass by on the other side of the street. Those people that were like, it's not my people, so I kind of avoid them. They look a little bit different. Don't know if I can trust them. Don't know what they've been up to. They're here, believe it or not. I know that you've probably seen them this week. Even those, those whom our God has called beloved, those whom our God has called to love, they are in our very neighborhoods. And we are called to be neighbors to and 
with them. God's great love is for our neighbors and, beautifully enough, God has chosen us to display that love in action daily. A lifelong intentionality, a lifelong neighborliness. And so, my challenge for each of us today is a simple one. Throughout this series, we've been trying to give very simple challenges. First week, it was just try out the block map exercise. Last week, invite somebody to neighbor night. This week, once again, very simple. It might be something you already do. I want you to get, start getting out into your neighborhood once a week and walk your neighborhood with intentionality. Very basic. That's it. Walk your neighborhood with intentionality. Maybe you have a dog that needs to be walked pretty regularly or could use some more exercise. Perfect opportunity. Walk your neighborhood with intentionality at least once per week. And if nobody's outside, take that as an opportunity to pray over each house that you pass by. And if there is someone outside, take just a moment of your time. Inconvenience yourself, if you will. Allow yourself to be interruptible and speak with them. And if you find a neighbor in need, make it your priority to care for them because that is how we flourish. We need one another. So in other words, let us stop passing our neighbors on the other side of the street, waving politely from a distance, and let us get into their world. Let us be the church that takes neighborliness to heart as it has so been commanded for millennia, by the way. The Shema from the Deuteronomy 6 passage and the Leviticus 19 passage, yeah, thousands of years old. It's been the same for all who love God. And so let us put our love into action. Let us live lives of intentional neighborliness. And let us pray together.